Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 61, Signs from the Universe. From time to time, and if you're paying attention, the universe will try to tell you something. To really hear what it is saying, you have to pay attention, be present in the moment, and do your best to interpret whatever subtle clues the world around you is providing. And then there are some weeks where the clues are so blatant, you would have to be deaf not to hear them. That pretty well describes the last two weeks here. It started with the felting. As I said in my blog post, I had a set plan for what fiber I was going to use for the felting parts of Lana Cunningham's More Beautiful Than Before Fiber Arts journaling book. And when I followed the directions and it didn't work, and didn't work, and didn't work, I should have clued in that the fiber was superwash, no matter what the label said. Instead, I spent too much time ignoring that clear physical manifestation of being told that my plans were not appropriate and I needed to change them. Kept going to the point of absolute frustration and failure. And then, when I finally bowed to the inevitable and switched fibers, the process flowed smoothly. And yet, it didn't stop there. Last weekend, we made an effort to move our sailboat across the Georgia Strait from Vancouver Island, since earlier this year we got a slip here. It was a two-day adventure with some highs and lows, all of which came together to stall us one-third of the way, with significant enough mechanical and sail issues that we caught a ferry and began to construct plans for how to complete the journey. Once again, the universe intervened, shouting loudly and clearly enough that we again bowed to the inevitable and had her towed the rest of the way to the harbour. Other signs during the journey told us that we need more sailing practice, and we need to spend more time cleaning, mending, and repairing our good old boat from stem to stern before she'll stop being mad at us for leaving her alone so long. Luckily, the bay outside the harbour here is much calmer, being in the lee of an island, making it a perfect place for these fair-weather sailors to learn the craft. My partner was planning to go to a funeral this weekend in a town about a 17-hour drive away. Despite the distance and cost, he really wanted to be there for his friend as he said goodbye to his mother, and he stuck with that plan all week, even as more and more signs that he should rethink it came up. His neck, already sore from a motorcycle trip without a windscreen a couple weeks ago, made it clear that his physical health deserved to be a priority for a while. After all, if you can't shoulder check on the right because your head won't turn that way, it might not be a good idea to drive that far. On top of that, one of the ferry routes he had to take is down to only one boat instead of two, until further notice due to mechanical issues, reducing the number of sailings by half on this busy Canada Day long weekend. Finally, on Friday, he called his friend to give him his best wishes and extend sympathies to the rest of the family. I've gotten some not-subtle messages about the state of my physical health as well. On short notice, we had to dog-sit, and so with Randy down for the count because of his neck, I've been taking our four-legged friend on his morning constitutionals. The first day was difficult. But with each subsequent morning, going up the hill to reach the water tower is getting easier and easier. Not to say it's easy yet, but I've definitely noticed a difference in how my limbs are functioning, and how fast I catch my breath at the top. I've been concerned about starting to exercise again because I already deal with significant fatigue, 
and I know if I overdo it, the fatigue gets worse. But dogs have needs, so off I go in the mornings. And that has proven to me that I don't need to be afraid to start going for short walks, even if I don't have the excuse of a canine constitutional to get me out the door. There are other things, still on the not-so-subtle side, but perhaps less resembling a two-by-four to the head, that are simply telling me that despite any misgivings, difficulties, or negativity I might be experiencing, this is still the right path for me at this moment. Some come through the experiences of others. Some come from the feeling of welcome and love I get from the people around me. And some are just offhand remarks that mean more than the person could possibly imagine. For example, as we were leaving Wednesday knitting at the library last week, someone said to me, we're so lucky you moved here. And yet, I feel lucky to have come and been welcomed so completely by this fiber arts community. I also feel lucky for all the messages of welcome back that I received from listeners these last two weeks. I know I have all of your support as I sort out what my career and contributions will be in the future. A doctor once told me that people with chronic pain tend to want to become an oak tree, strong and sturdy against all of life's trials and tribulations. But oak trees will snap in the tempest, so it is better to try and emulate the bamboo, which bends in the winds but never gets uprooted, and when the tempest passes can continue to grow. I am where I am today in part because I became an oak, and didn't listen to the messages the universe was sending my way until they became too strong to ignore. This week reminded me that I need to be better at listening, and better at being flexible. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. Well, I leave for Fiber Week in four days. I can't believe it's come so fast. On on the other hand, I'm used to being almost done by now because it's usually uh, the last week of June. So normally I'd be on my way back home from Fiber Week now instead of just getting ready to go. But we're all ready. We're ready to teach level six. We've got to do a little bit of shopping at the Merchant Mall, but otherwise we are good to go. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. I also finished the challenge yarn from my level three students from last year. It is not as boucle as I might like. There are certain places that are quite boucle, and and that just tells me that I need more practice. But uh, it really turned out lovely. So I had the cotton, lint, and uh, silk noil applied together as the core, and then two wool strands for the wraps. One of them was uh, a red and orange bat, and the other was some white wool. Now, I didn't spin all of the white wool. I spun three different kinds. I think they were the Rommeldale, the California red, and something else. The blue face lister, I think. And that was, that almost filled the bobbin as much as the red bat. So that's why I stopped at that point. And then I spun a black silk binder. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, whites and orange and black. Well, Vanessa, it's going to look like a tiger. And it wasn't until I started plying that I realized, oh my God, it looks like a tiger. So it is really lovely and not what I would normally spin. But it was a really good exercise for me to to do it because it 
you know, it showed me that, yes, you know, I, I might enjoy knitting lace and things like that, but this, there's a, there's a place in my life for this kind of yarn. Now, like I said, I need to practice a little more, uh, continue to use Sarah Anderson's instructions for spinning textured yarns, so I will continue with that. Now, I'm bringing it to Fiber Week in case any of my level threes are coming, but I will be also sending it to them by email to prove to them that I did, in fact, complete their challenge. So I haven't really had a chance after that, because I finished that on Thursday, to think about what my next challenge to myself will be. But I'm thinking that I will play some more with the Angora. The person who gave me the Angora, I'd really like to spin her some yarn from her Angora. So I'm going to sample a few things. I'm going to try blending it as well as spinning it by itself and figure out, you know, what what might work best. So I think I'm going to spend quite a bit of time with Angora once I get back from Fiber Week. My new wheel, my Lendrum, has developed a squeak that I can't track down or I can't solve at this moment. I did phone Lendrum and got some feedback from him about how to try and narrow it down. It turned out it was in the place that he said it probably wasn't, so that makes it a mystery. So I'm going to try and solve the mystery on my own because otherwise I have to send the whole wheel to Ontario, which I really don't want to do. So I'm taking it with me to Fiber Week and I'm going to, I know there'll be some people there with Lendrums. I will like turn them over and, and see how mine differs from theirs or if I can figure out what's going on, then I will do that. And if I can't, then I will bite the bullet and send it to Ontario because it's just, I can't have it squeaking every treadle. I just, I, not just the sound, but I worry that I'm going to wear something out and it's just going to break. So I will do that. So I may not get to the Angora by next episode because I will be returning from Fiber Week just before we get to the next episode. But I will also be, you know, planning out my life in terms of what I want to study and, and how I'm going to approach the sampling. So I may have some, in, some information for you at that point. Okay, moving on to level three. I was actually incorrect in the last episode about being finished with level three. Uh, we're not finished with level three. We're not going on to the final project this time. I've completely forgot about the dyeing. I'm still going to talk about the dyeing, even though it is no longer part of the Master Spinner curriculum, because I think as, as fiber artists, we eventually want to color our yarn anyway. And it's, it's, it's good to talk about my experience in it. So the dye module for level three was to get 25 colors out of one dye pot, a natural dye pot. And it is absolutely the most fun dye exercise I did in my entire master spinner career. Still tiring, but definitely the most fun. So the idea is that you spin 25 skeins and then you label them and you pre-mordant die and then modify afterwards. So you take five of those skeins and there's no mordant at all. Then you take another five of those skeins and you mordant them with alum, another five mordant with copper, another five mordant with iron, 
and another five mordant with oxalic acid, which is uh, derived from rhubarb leaves. And then you mordant them uh, as per the instructions. And then once it's mordanted, you toss them all into one dye pot and let it dye for however long. And then you take them out and you take one skein from each bundle. So if, you're, if your first one's one through five and the second was six through 10, you take one, six, 11, 16, and 21. And then you decide how to modify those. So you can either have no modifier a acid modifier, an alkaline modifier, a copper modifier, or an iron modifier. And that is how you get 25 colors out of one dye pot. Now there's something about the water at Olds College. Uh, I've never had any luck really nature dyeing with the water at Olds College. It always comes out pastels, not really deep or anything like that. But I was still really pleased with the colors that I did get. Obviously the darkest one is the iron and copper or iron and iron. And your lightest ones are, of course, the no mordants at all. But each color is individual and very, very interesting. I found the oxalic acid gave it a more of a green tone. We used Brazil wood, so that goes into the reds and purples. But even the oxalic acid has a little bit more of a green undertone. Of course, the irons have sort of a brownish undertone. Coppers, not quite as sort of greeny but not really your alum is very bright more yellow and of course your none those were the lightest now this is a fascinating exercise and i believe michelle boyd is actually teaching it at fiber week this year as a, a one-off class for a whole day and so that will be fun for everybody that's that's going to take that so what can i say about the this this thing it's fun it's a lot of work you can pre-mordant your skeins and then let them dry and come back to it another day. But your record keeping has to be impeccable and in that case. And I would recommend using filtered water or uh, reverse osmosis water. In fact, we're going to talk to our level six classes when we get there about whether or not they would like us to go and purchase couple gallons of water for the indigo exercise that we're going to do. For this exercise, we specifically used sawdust, so wood dyes rather than just plant dyes. And they make for very interesting colors. But you do have to treat them a little differently. You have to wrap them in cheesecloth and then again in a sheet to make sure that they don't filter out into your water and therefore, you know, get onto your yarns. So it's it's really fun, and when I do get to talk about my final project in the next episode, I can go into that a little more because I decided to halfway recreate it for my final project. I did 20 colors out of one dye pot. I left off the oxalic acid. So next time we'll talk about my final project, and then we will be done with level three and can move on to level four. Fiber Notes. When we went on our sailing adventure, I brought along a, a bunch of things. The last time we went sailing, there was quite a bit of downtime where you know, we could sit and, and read or 
or do things. There, That didn't happen nearly so much this time. In the two and a half days we were gone, I had absolutely zero opportunity to do anything resembling fiber arts. So we got to Wednesday and I was like, oh, I have to finish the socks. And so I was, I was knitting and I was knitting. And then I thought, you know, I'll just check and see where I'm at if I reach the end of the, the pattern repeats and I can go into the toe. And it was a good thing I did because I actually was on the last pattern repeat. So I did not over knit, which was excellent. I did, however, over knit the toe. I decreased a little too far. Uh, I misread the pattern. It says go down to 16, which I thought meant eight, but it meant 16 per side. So I got to about, I don't know, I think it was about 10, maybe 12 stitches per side of the, the toe. And I'm like, this looks really pointy. So I, I double checked and, and yes, indeed, I had gone too far. So I had to tear back a little bit and then Kitchener the toe. But, but I was done knitting and I finished them on Wednesday. Of course, it's too hot to wear wool socks right now, but what can you do? They are ready for me when it does get cool. And I probably will bring them to Fiber Week because I've looked at the um, weather forecast and it's looking 20-ish with some rain. So I think they will actually be excellent to wear at Fiber Week. I'm still thinking about the end treatment for the cable of the shawl. I may bring that to Fiber Week as well, although I don't anticipate having a much brain power in the evening. So I may just leave it home. But that is next on the priority list in terms of things I'm going to focus on. Also this week, I decided to start knitting with some of the yarn I brought home from our trip to Europe. The yarn is quite different, and I, I can't really describe it. It's still cotton yarn. It's still sock yarn. But the sock yarn is so much softer for the, the same fiber content, you know, 75% wool, 25% nylon. And the cotton yarn, their dishcloth cotton is significantly thinner, but also shinier, but not mercerized. It's, it's very strange, but really nice. I, I think I prefer it to the kind of dishcloth cottons that we have. Not to say that I don't love our dishcloth cottons because they make excellent dishcloths, but you can make some really fine linens with this type of cotton. So my aunt had a hand towel in her summer house that I quite liked. And so I took some pictures of it and then I went looking for yarn enough to do a few of them. So I started one and I got a little stuck on the, the lace pattern because the one side doesn't quite look like yarn overs. So I'm going to have to grab another ball and just swatch that particular lace pattern to see if I can recreate it. But once I can, once I've got that lace pattern down, then it's just a straight shot all the way to the end. And so the, the yarn I started with is red, which is another thing. Their colors for these yarns are gorgeous. You can, you can get, you know, your pastels like we can get, but you can also get your, you know, these deep, rich colors for essentially dishcloth cotton. So yeah, every time I said I was done buying yarn while we were overseas, I ran into another yarn shop and then bought more. It was kind of started being silly towards the end. I came home with quite a bit of sock yarn, quite a bit of cotton yarn. So I'm working on that uh, when I'm feeling like reverse engineering something. 
And then because of course I finished the socks, I needed some new purse knitting and I decided that I really needed to finish or restart, I guess, the fingerless mittens for my nephew. Now I knit my nephew a hat for Christmas uh, out of oh, hat trick yarn from River City Yarns in Edmonton because he is a big Edmonton Oilers fan, or perhaps I should say he's a big Connor McDavid fan, and Connor McDavid plays for the Edmonton Oilers at this point. So I knit him a hat, and I provided him with a little coupon that said, pick what you'd like to go with your hat, and I gave him a choice of mittens, socks, or fingerless gloves, and he chose fingerless gloves, and I knit him a pair, and they were too small. So now I am going to just knit him something. I'm just going to knit it from pattern, a women's size. Hopefully they won't be too big, but I'm sure he'll grow into them because he's nine and he is growing. So I'm actually hoping he doesn't grow out of them before I finish them. That's kind of where I'm at right now. But yes, the, the hat trick yarn in the Edmonton Oilers colorway. So white, blue, and orange. They are very colorful. Let's just put it that way. But I hope he likes them once I get them done. And I hope that uh, he will wear them this fall and winter with his hat. And I really hope that the Edmonton Oilers do not trade Connor McDavid before I get this finished. I'm also still working on, uh, off and on, on the spinning for the wedding shawl. I was thinking of trying to get the first half done before Tour de Fleece starts on the 6th. I may not make that simply because I've got one full day of travel and then, you know, getting packed and all of these things. But I am going to still take it for Fiber Week, so I'll be working on that. And it's still my goal to have that skein, that 200 gram skein completed by the end of Tour de Fleece. But I also carted up some Rolex out of a fleece uh, that I have dyed by Tin Roof Studios. It was left over from the 2017 Millerville Sheep to Shawl competition. Michelle Boyd purchased it and I bought half of it off of her. And it's this beautiful reds and, and golds. I think the colorway is was something like um, Ontario Autumn, Ontario, maybe, or Quebec. Anyway, the, the idea of the, the red fall leaves in eastern Canada. And we set up my great wheel at the office. So I am getting a feel for that again. I have to replace the drive band. It broke the other day and, and then get her all, all oiled up. And part of the reason that I want to get this done is because, as I said in the first episode, I would like to make a video about spinning off the point. Of, of things like a supported spindle, a charka, and of course a great wheel. But in order to do that, I need to practice and I also need to have the equipment set up so that I can then record. Now, I am just learning how to be a video editor. So this is, this is also me trying to teach myself something new. And I hope you'll bear with me as I figure it all out. But I'm hoping that my, that'll be my first video and I'll be able to put that out sometime in July. So I'll keep you updated on that. But I've almost filled the, the spindle already with these row legs. And it's just, it's super fun to spin on a great wheel. And, and it's great because I'm actually standing. So I find it is easier on my body as well. So those are the things I've been working on. I will continue to... You know, just plug away at, 
at the design and and also at the reverse engineering and just keep going. By the wayside. Remember when I said last week that there was no way the accolade could be as bad as I thought it was? I, I was wrong. It's actually worse. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But it sure feels that way. So I pulled it out and took a picture and then sat down and looked at it. And yes, the chart is terrible. All kinds of colors and different weights of lines for the back stitch that are really difficult to interpret really hard to find in some cases on the chart itself. Sometimes I'll be looking at a piece where I'm like, is that backstitch or is that just the grid? So whatever. But I'm, you know what? I made a go at it. I started and uh, I'm a while ago, maybe 20 years, I'm not sure, I, uh, I had started backstitching the image at the back of the knight's tunic. So stylized falcon. And I'd done it in black. So I finished it in black. And then I started backstitching around his arm and I got to a place where the color changed and I looked at the color and the thickness of the line and I went down to the chart and I said, this is black. But if this is black, that can't be black. The one I've just finished, the outline around the falcon. So I went back down to the, the legend and I went back and forth and I determined that yes, in fact, I did do the whole thing wrong. It uh, should have been done in two strands of iridescent filament. Now, can we just go there for a second? Seriously, backstitching with two strands of iridescent filament? Ugh, that's just, it really sucks. I made the decision to not pick out the black. I'm simply stitching over top of the black with the two strands of iridescent filament. But in the process of doing this, I've also decided that this is the last time if I discover that I've made a mistake, that I am going to fix it. I am going to make my best guess at what these lines and symbols mean. If it turns out that that's incorrect, but I, it still looks okay, that's what it's going to be. It, it, I just, it's going to get done one way or the other, maybe not correctly. Let's call it a, an interpretation of this particular pattern. So, that's where I'm at. I didn't get a ton done because of course now I have to redo the piece I did get done, but I am working on it. I am attempting not to get too frustrated and I will keep going. Thank you for joining me for episode 61. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 62 on July 14th, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside. <laughs>